Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 56, seven ways to navigate a sexually shifting culture. Yes, hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am here with my husband, Matt. Hello. And producer, Steve. Bonjour. Bonjour. You're hitting again. Did we do bonjour yet? Probably. Whatever. It's good. You're welcome here in this space. No shame. Uh, And we have a great, amazing guest for you today. His name is Sam Alberry. Sam, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you. And Sam, you are in warm, sunny Dallas, and you're going to be speaking at a conference soon. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. It's my pleasure. And for those of you who don't know Sam Alberry, he is an editor for the Gospel Coalition, a global speaker for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and a pastor based in Maidenhead, UK. And he's also the author of a number of books, which I've only read one, but I got to keep working my way through them. I know that they're great. Uh, But the one I've read is God, uh, Anti-Gay, really important book that everybody should read. James for You, and most recently, Why Bother with the Church. And he's also a founding editor of Living Out Ministries based in the UK. So, Sam, thanks for joining our podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this podcast is a three-parter. In the first part, we do our question of the week from last week, and then we move into what is called Goofball Island, where we take an intentional vacation from our problems. And we just know that when we speak on the intersection of the gospel and sexuality and gender, it can be a very serious conversation. So we intentionally infuse fun, which is a great way to get to know our guests. And the last piece is the heart of the matter, where we're going to dive into uh, those seven ways to navigate a sexually shifting culture. And so we'll dive in both to Sam's story, just a piece of what we call his testimony, but really how is the gospel good news for him? And then we're going to dive into a talk he gave recently. And uh, I just listened to his 26 minutes and it just flew by. And I was like, wow, we, when we have him on the podcast, I'd love to dive more deeply into this because it was really just succinctly put and really, really powerful. So that first part, question of the week. How have you all, this is actually, if you heard our, uh, our podcast, our episode with Kat, uh, the gender conversation one, Kat texted me and she's like, Lori, you should do one about getting hit in the childhoods. Now, <laughs> if you guys know the phrase of getting hit in the numbers, you know, isn't that like an old school phrase about it's, how you can get... It's- like what? a football, a football phrase. Football. So if the like quarterback a, throws it right at your chest, you know where your numbers are yeah. in your jersey. It's, it's like it's, it's the perfectly bullseye. placed. Yeah. yeah, bullseye. So in our house, uh, when we get triggered by something, so if I'll say something and it maybe like wounds Matt and reminds him of his childhood, he'll be like, "You hit me right in the childhoods, Lori." <laughs> so Cat texted me and she's like, "Can you do a question of the week about getting hit in the childhoods?" In a good way. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about getting triggered, essentially. How can you get triggered by something of your childhood in a good way? So you all responded. You either friended me through Facebook and responded there or on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so thank you for your responses. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. Who did you hear from the audience? Which which person did you resonate with? And, and how have you gotten triggered, essentially, or hit in the childhoods in a good way? Yeah, I I really liked what Mally said, and she just said, rain. The smell of rain reminds me of being a kid and playing in or watching for lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, I was triggered the same way today. This oh, afternoon, yeah, yeah, sitting in the office with the rain hitting the glass, and it reminded me of every time in October when I would be sitting 
in the back of my dad's pickup truck, you know, with the camper shell on, we'd be driving to October vacation, which was a tradition in my family. And that rain on the the windows and on the aluminum, like it just, that sound brings Hmm. me back to a good place. And so it was really, I was having a good time in my office today. Hmm. Get that on an app. Can't you like the the sound of rain on a windshield or yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can. Hey, Sam, let's jump to you. You don't need to respond with a listener uh, response, but how, how have you been hit in the childhoods or triggered from your childhood in a, in a good way lately? <laughs> uh, it, it is a good way. Um, although I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed about it because I was uh, visiting a friend. Uh, his, one of his kids was playing with Lego bricks. So I started getting involved in playing with the Lego bricks with the kid. And I was like, oh. I totally don't want the kid to be here. I want to be doing this on my own. <laughs> <laughs> And they're doing it in a stupid way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, I was like, hey, I'm eight again, and I want to build what I want to build. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, there's no shame in that. I'm pretty sure I'd wreck the same Oh, yeah. <laughs> was it, are you a Star Wars fan? Because you're going to get a lot of points in this group if you are, and we're building something Star Wars-y. Uh, at this very moment, I am wearing Millennium Falcon socks. No. Whoa. <laughs> So, all right, you win. Love it. Yes. You win guest. And you award. said it right also. <laughs> yes. What? Falcon. Falcon. Well, he is also. How do other people say it? Some people say Falcon. Falcon. But and, we're not. And... We don't have your accent. Well, we're the ones with the accent and yeah. say things incorrectly. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyway, you scored 100% on that quiz. So, <laughs> yes. so no worries. Well done. All right, Steve, you're up. I appreciated what Christy shared. Bubbles. Said I was spraying dish soap and water today to remove some bugs. It smelled like bubbles. It reminded me of blowing them in the backyard as a kid and reminded me of this past summer with my two-year-old niece. And I can remember blowing bubbles, too, as a kid. There's something about bubbles. Yeah. That just Because you don't really play with them as an adult. Right. But we still like them, like hot air balloons and things. Like, we just keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. bubbles. For myself, I don't know, like, I, I had a hard time with this because I'm so far removed from my childhood. So very old. I, I am, but also, like, <laughs> geographically, like, I'm nowhere near where I was born or grew up, you oh. know, so there's that. But uh, I do keep a photo that I came across, I don't know, a couple years ago of when I was baptized. I was, like, seven, and it was, like, such a typical Midwestern Baptist 70s little church you know like uh and with the tank back behind the choir Mm -hmm. area you know and i'm just little steve there getting ready to get testimony yeah all of seven years that's right and uh so it just reminds me of like jesus has not let go of me since i was a little kid you know i have taken a long and winding road myself but yeah. he's always been there so all right 100 percent for you too nah. you gave the good answer well i've also got the you know super carnal answer i can share that <laughs> if you like well now i well, need to know <laughs> so just last night i'm surfing around netflix and i see that they've got all these monty python things. oh there you go <laughs> they've got the monty python the flying circus which was on pbs when I was a little kid oh, and I probably shouldn't have been watching it. I had no idea. Like oh, it was no. way above my, over <laughs> my head, but there was something silly and funny about it. And so I watched a couple minutes of that and I was like, Whoa, uh, Sam, I feel like you need to insert some sort of commentary about Monty Python, but I am a hundred percent stereotyping. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always slightly and pleasantly surprised that non-English people like Monty Python because it just seems so quintessentially English. It kind of is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, but how not to be seen was that one of them? 
I don't remember. Yes. I don't remember oh, that. There you go. You got affirmed good by job. Sam. Yeah, I mean, it was a good one. <laughs> now for something completely different is oh, what go. stands yeah. out for me. But anyway. Oh, man. Well, I appreciated Kelly saying napping on the couch at home with the sound of people talking in the background. She grew up with a big family and a small mobile home. And so something about hearing people cooking, talking, laughing, working brings her peace and comfort. Growing up in a home with 11 siblings, like... Anytime in an, I'm in a place that's the more chaotic it gets, the more zen I get. Mm. It's like the most bizarre thing. But I'm like, I think I'm going to fall asleep now. Could it be highly dysfunctional and I'm just trying to avoid the chaos? Probably. But whatever. It works for me. Now the vehicle we're taking to get there is a lazy Susan. Now that is not a person. That is something on top of a table that again, in my huge... 12 family, kid family home. We had a gigantic table. It was round and on top, there was like a gigantic lazy Susan. So if you needed the honey on the other side of the table, you just put it on top and ideally roll it real slow and respectful. But we, <laughs> you know that puppy's spinning and oh, the yeah. honey is flying along with spaghetti, etc. <laughs> Wait, honey and spaghetti? Hey, okay. What, what meal are we taking No, here? no, no, no judging. A staple in the family home, so let's do spaghetti or anything, was a loaf of bread, like regular old bread. You throw it on the table with butter and honey because mm-hmm. you're not good. You're always hung, slightly hungry. When you have 11 siblings, you got to load up on them carbs. <laughs> I'm just telling you, secret to survival. Okay. Goofball Island, here we are. Why did we take a lazy Susan? Because something that we do for family dinner, which if you heard the episode with Angela, my in real life little sister we talked about family dinner which is what we do every week matt and i open up our home to people who are looking for family life family like community and so we have a meal and we often talk about deep uh conversations different topics and the game table topics which isn't really a game it's just cards with questions on it has actually been really helpful because it offers some lighthearted questions along with some deeper ones. So I just flipped right on through them and I was like, these seem good for Sam. So Sam, welcome to Goofball Island and we're going to hit you up with five table topic questions. All right. First one. What was something you could get away with as a kid that you wish you could get away with now as an adult? Belching. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like when you're a baby and you belch, people like applaud you yeah. and they say, well done. <laughs> you belch now and people kind of uh, across at you. I yeah. mean, yet it's such a pleasurable thing to do. <laughs> Good. From like the core. Uh, there are cultures in, in the world where belching is kind of socially acceptable and it's a sign of appreciation. I'd like to bring that bit of whatever culture it is into the Western world. That sounds great. I yeah. feel like, especially in England, they might super frown on it, but maybe down there in Dallas, oh, sorry, Dallas listener, maybe you can get away with it. Sorry. I love you, Texas. It's, and it's immediately followed by a woo. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> or a howdy. Howdy. Is, is yeehaw? Yeehaw. That, yeah, it could be that too. Okay. I mean... So, and every Texan turned us off. Yeah. Okay. I, I was born in Dallas. So yes. I get to say these things. You can rap. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Number two, if you could master one instrument, which, hey, maybe it's the belching instrument, uh, <laughs> what would it be, Sam? Uh, I think it would be the double bass to, to pluck. Mm. I just, people who play the double bass like that just look so cool. Yeah, they like do. Like bands and that kind of stuff. And you could wear your Millennium Falcon socks and other attire, some sort of leather jacket. Mm. Yeah, that would be it. What's the funniest advice your mother gave you? I, can, I totally thought of something and now I've forgotten it. 
<laughs> so come back to me. On we'll that circle one. back. Okay. Yeah. What makes a house a home for you? When are you like, okay, here I am. Uh, what makes a house a home is a dog who unconditionally and entirely irrationally adores you. Oh, yes. Do you have a dog who feels that way no. about you? <laughs> That's a slightly sad, pathetic kind of follow up to that. I don't. I, I, I borrow other people's. Oh. But I, something about a pet that is just stupidly happy to see you that makes you feel like you're at home, I think. Yeah. Some people have pets, pets that don't like them. Yeah, I cats. don't see the point of a pet that doesn't like you. I'm not going to look after and feed an animal that doesn't think I'm the most amazing thing on the planet. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> is everyone thinking of cats right now or no? I Yes. Well, now yes. I am because you said <laughs> well, cats. But also but... like the gerbils and the hamsters and the goldfish, like yeah. they don't, they don't even take any notice yeah. of you. Lizards. Right. Well, mm. the difference between a dog and a cat has been explained this way. A, a dog sees you providing everything it needs and thinks, wow, you must be God. Yeah. The cat sees you providing everything it needs and thinks, wow, I must be God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, That's really very good. true. Yeah. That's very true. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. So perhaps there will be some connection to this question, but what are the most important qualities uh, for friends for you? I think I've been thinking about this. Uh, the thing I think I love the most is friends are people you can do nothing with. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You can actually be around, you can actually purposefully get together to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Just let, let's all just hang out. I've had friends where we've all been sitting on different chairs, half asleep, reading our own books and that kind of stuff. And, and just kind of that sort of everyone's doing their own thing, but in each other's company. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. As uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who's been on here, um, she says, intimacy is boring. And that yes. stuck with me. Yes, I love her. <laughs> yeah. She's also talked about there's catch up with friends and there's do life with friends. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Some friends you only ever meet up to talk and find out what each other's up to. Mm. Other friends, you've already done that. You just meet up to hang out. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. All right. Well, let's shift to the heart of the matter. I'm really excited to dig into this. But Sam, the reason that we do this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. So because that's our premise, we ask every guest, how was the gospel first good news for you? But we're very aware that it's not just this one time surrender thing. So we follow it up with this. How is the gospel still good news for you? Why do you still need the beautiful, glorious grace of Jesus every day? So we'll start with that first part and then we'll shift into the second one yeah i can still vividly remember the very first time i heard the gospel i can remember where i was and who i was with and who it was who was telling the gospel to me i was at a, a church youth group i'd been invited by some christian friends of mine i was 17 it was june or july 1993 and an old man was was speaking and he showed me for the very first time that Christianity is not about God rewarding people who are good. Mm. Uh, it's not about God being impressed by our goodness, congratulating us on it. It's actually a God who comes for people who are really messed up. Mm. And I just had a sense, even though I was a pretty well-behaved teenager, I didn't go off the rails in any way, but I just had a sense, do you know what? In my heart, I'm a bit of a mess. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, okay, 
So there is a God. I don't know him. I sense that that was on me. Mm. And yet this is a God who's coming for for people who aren't ready and aren't sort of life. They haven't got life together enough to encounter him. So yeah, that's the first time I heard the gospel. And it was very soon after that, maybe a couple of weeks after that, that I I consciously thought, OK, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ now because he knows way more about this, how to live stuff than I do. Yeah. And I learned that he had died for me. I learned that he had he'd risen again for me. So I just thought, this is someone I can trust. This is someone I can, I can build a life on this man. Hmm. And I think how that, that applies to every day is, I remember as I was thinking, I want to follow him from now on, I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had no idea what the Christian life involved. Um, didn't know where following him would, would take me. I just knew that I could trust him, that yeah. he would know best. And that's the very same thing that I, I kind of have to wake up and, and remind myself of every morning is that Jesus knows way more than I do, mm-hmm. way better than I am, far, far wiser. And so I would be an, a complete idiot to think I can figure out the day much better than he can. Yeah. So every day it's – and actually that what that boils down to is Jesus is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, see that the Lord is good. And so every day I want to trust in the goodness of God, that his ways are going to be better for me than my ways. Yeah. Now, Sam, what I love about every word that you said is that can pretty much directly apply to all of us, not the exact how and where and when, but just that surrender and that that really it's submission to we don't know best and that it's a daily surrender. Now, Sam, I know that pieces of your story include a wrestling with sexuality, which, spoiler alert, Every single person wrestles with their sexuality. Uh, but I know and I, when I share my story, I always have to remind them, I'm broken in many ways. You want to talk about other ways? Um, but how did the gospel intersect with your sexuality, just so people can have a context and just a sense of where we're going in this conversation? Yeah, well, I, certainly in, the, in the, the few years running up to me becoming a Christian, I had begun to recognize that I was attracted to people of the same sex. Before I was a Christian, I would, my, my thought with that was, this is something, as soon as I finish high school, as soon as I get to university and leave home, that's something I'm going to run with when I get to university hmm. and explore there when I'm not around all the people who currently know me. Hmm. So actually, my coming to faith happened just before I went to university. So that whole plan was was wonderfully interrupted and I'm I'm really grateful for God's timing on that because it meant he got to me before I had the opportunity to get into a bunch of stuff mm. that I would have to grieve over Wow! As a, as a believer. So I don't feel as though I've missed out. Wow. I feel as though actually God has, has spared me some, some deep heartache. Mm. That is so, beautiful. It's just such a beautiful way to look at it because I'm, I'm sure if some people could look at it and be like, ah, like I didn't get to actually experience it. But the humility and surrender I hear in your voice, and again, that submission to God's will is so rare and so beautiful. And he's, he's shown me since many, many times that actually what we have in Christ is always better than what we would have in sin. I love yeah. the, the verse in Hebrews, is it 11 or 12 or something, where it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm. I love the realism that there is pleasure. It's not pretending sin has no attraction. Right. It's just that it, the pleasure you get from sin is only very fleeting. Mm. It, 
wears off really quickly. Whereas the joy we have in Christ is not only deeper than that, but it's it's eternal, it's everlasting, it will never wear off. Mm. Um, it will get better the more we know him. Mm. So, Sam, you wrote and shared this beautiful talk with the Gospel Co- Coalition Council members recently, and I you focused on, on the, the cultural landscape and then offered some practical ways that we can lean in. So why did you start off with talking about the cultural landscape before offering the practical pieces? I think it's because there have been some really significant changes in our culture. And for those of us who are over 25, certainly over 30, we've yeah. we've experienced that change. Mm. And the world we live in now is not the world we grew up in. Um, and so for some people, that that change has left them feeling bewildered, confused, um, not knowing how to engage and all that kind of stuff. So what I wanted to do was to to help us understand the kind of mental furniture people mm. have today when they begin to think about these issues because we're not going to properly address issues and answer questions unless we understand the mindset behind them. Yes. Um, there's a Proverbs, I, can't, I think in the talk actually, I mentioned one of the Proverbs that talks about if you give an answer before you listen, it's yep. your folly and your shame. Mm. I think it's in Proverbs 18 somewhere. Yep. Um, and so whenever we, we hear a question or an issue is presented to us by our culture or by someone we know, we've got to understand what's behind that, where it's coming from, and then we will, I think, be in a better position to know how to speak the truth mm-hmm. into that issue. So dive in there with us. You named four cultural changes. What what are they? Help us set up the mental furniture in our own minds. Sure, and this is not exhaustive. There'll be a whole ton of other things going on as well, but these, to me, seem the most pressing mm. things that have changed. And again, the, the aim is when someone says, as many people do today, you know, how can you believe in what you believe as, as Christians about sexual ethics? I want to understand why it's so alien to them. Hmm. And I think these four changes help us understand that. The first is that our, our moral intuitions have changed. Uh, we don't tend to, our moral reflexes tend to be intuitive rather than rational. We just have a gut feeling. Oh, yeah. And that the kind of moral factors that, drive those intuitions have changed Hmm. Um, rather that the emphasis has shifted and so we now tend to talk in terms of things like harm if something causes harm it's wrong if it doesn't look to cause harm then we can't say it's wrong Hmm. Um, or if, if something seems unnecessarily constraining that feels wrong to us we just intuit that it's wrong yeah if something seems unfair or discriminatory, you know, one rule for one, another rule for another, again, that strikes us as being wrong. Whereas I think in previous generations and, and indeed in other cultures, the moral intuitions tend to be to do with loyalty, with authority, uh, with submission to whatever code we, we've agreed upon as a society. Mm. And those are just very different intuitions to the ones I, I think that are, are shaping people's responses today which is i think why something like gay marriage at 20 years ago seemed nowhere on the horizon Hmm. or it seemed 
very small minority who were pushing for it, now just seems common sense to, to the vast majority of our culture. Right. Right, because it's I'm not harming you. That is for sure. That's the standard yeah. that we live but, under, and I've heard it unquestionably lots of times. What does yeah, what I'm doing? That, how does it hurt you? Yeah, that nice gay couple down the road get married. How does that how does that affect you? Absolutely, that doesn't affect your marriage. So how can it be wrong? Where I always push back, and I know you're going to get this. We'll get to this a little bit later. Is I just start thinking about that, and I'm like, well, if God made everyone, and He's called us to be a part of this kingdom building. If you're doing something else besides following in line with his will, then it is harming me. Even if you're not punching me in the face or like doing something graphic to me for you not being involved in this kingdom ushering in business that is harmful because then we're not linking arms and and, and doing this submission to Christ and making disciples together. That's that's the harm is it's more of a lack of, of omission from this kingdom building thing we're supposed to be doing. It is, although if it's a not a Christian, they don't know what any of that means. Yeah, I know. I so and that further back. That's it. So, how about the second one? Is the view of minorities? Yeah, so we're very, very conscious in our kind of Western culture of minority groups, particularly those who we feel have been unfairly singled out over the years and mistreated. Mm. And into that category, many people today would place sexual minorities, those who are not heterosexual or those who, you know, have a different understanding of gender identity. And we we look at previous treatment of the gay community uh, or the transgender community. And to, to, I think, a very understandable extent, we, we feel collective regret and shame. Yeah. And so now we want to privilege the groups we feel have been treated unjustly in the past. Mm. And so we privilege what we believe to be minority and victim status voices. Ouch. And the whole phenomenon of intersectionality means that if you belong to more than one such minority or victim status group, then your voice really matters in the public square and has far more credibility than someone who doesn't. So if you are a black female lesbian, uh, your voice actually matters more and counts more than if you are a white male who's straight. Mm. That seems to be the the way these things work now. Oh, yeah. And it it should be equal. But because I can even lean in, I'm like, yes, we need to hear their voices and we need to, you know, understand them. But does it mean that they matter more? And so you're just you're not making a judgment call we're just observing and what you're saying describing is what is true what is going on. absolutely it's the flip side is that certain people are not perceived as having a right to speak into certain issues yeah, yeah. you're just another white male so yeah. shut up <laughs> right um, which yeah we're going to get into how can you it doesn't mean you get to yell and scream which is some people's response to that is like no i do have a voice but we'll get into that with your seven practical responses is how can you still have a voice but you don't need to yell and shout about you, you valuable and true things the third thing that you said that is a part of the four cultural changes is our view in, of sex in marriage has changed which it kind of goes without saying but describe that a little bit yeah, so the, the change in how we understand sex is a much longer-term change that's been going on for, for decades. But the, the bottom line really is that sex 
should never need to be anything more than recreational mm. for people who don't want it to be more than that. And so we have a commitment as a society to making sure that people are free to have whatever kind of sex they want that's consensual without there being consequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's recreational, it's not procreational. Mm. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more militancy, I think in, in parts of the, the abortion movement, because although the science is, is just making it so much clearer, you know, what a fetus experiences, what's going on, the sort of various aspects of its humanness that are so undeniable. Mm -hmm. That's not actually the issue. The issue is, no, we need to be able to have sex without reproductive consequences. Mm -hmm. And with the, the change in marriage is not just the fact that many of our cultures now have legalized same-sex marriage. It's more the fact that marriage has shifted from being based on promises and is more of a kind of flexible romantic contract, whereas where, whereby as long as we both give each other these feelings of romantic fulfillment, we'll stick around. But if that changes for one or both of us, we can we can step away from this. Yeah. From the Bible's view of marriage. Mm. Yeah. If I can jump in here for a second. I mean, I was this week I actually did a, a training um, on on how to better work with people from the LGBTQ um, community and and you didn't do the training you attended well, I, I, I attended yeah, a yeah. training um, that was given by a, a certified you know sex therapist who him he himself is you know a member of the gay community and and everything and it was it was very informative in the morning you know working through okay some of the minority status and and what what that can do to, to people's mindsets but then in the evening it was actually really disheartening to very starkly see this change in the views of sex because it, it went from something that was a very informative scientific based talk to almost this religious preaching of, of sex is supposed to be whatever I want it to be. And, and if anyone has a problem with that, or if any, if and the, the example he used was if a wife is struggling with her husband's use of pornography, something very common, he said, it's because they haven't negotiated their monogamy well enough. And that's why she has these hurt feelings. Wait, what's and, that mean? Negotiated monogamy? Well, and, and that's what he, he basically said, that monogamy doesn't mean that you only are with one another. It could mean like, oh, you're only physically with one another, but he gets to look at porn. And, and you can have emotional relationships or even sexual relationships as long as you come home together. Wow. You know, and, and so, and it was, it was just like this almost jaw drop <laughs> To, to the floor because I'm like this this is I mean this is who the the world is saying and who credentialing agencies are saying is an expert wow. on sex and sexuality and uh, the underlying everything is it's whatever you want it to be don't let anyone tell you otherwise and it, it it's leaving I believe it's going to be leaving and it has left a bunch of broken people in its wake and it it's unfortunate that that that's that, that seems to be the way that that culture is moving even further. And it, that's because it, it's become about I've I've got to be pleased mm. and satisfied, rather than it being a means of self giving, which is what it's supposed to be in the Bible. It's a way of yeah. It's meant to be a way of giving yourself to another person, mm. and therefore it, it's it's not about me. 
and getting what I want. It's about me trying to give myself mm-hmm. to somebody else. Yeah. And per usual in the Hole in My Heart podcast, I'm ready to fall on the floor and be like, Lord, come soon. <laughs> and we're not even done yet. So the last cultural change that you know is the change in anthropology. What do you mean by that? Just what we understand about the basics of being a human being, that has really changed. Oh. So who I am now is who I feel myself to be deep down inside. Mm. If I look deep in my heart and discover who I truly am, that is who I am. That is my identity. No one else can tell me. No one else can give me that. I've got to figure that out, figure that out for myself. Yeah. And therefore, if the real me is that inner sense of self that I, I discover, my, my body actually is purely incidental. Mm. And if we believe in a kind of atheistic evolutionary mindset, then actually my body is a, is purely accidental and carries within it no clues or information about who I am. Mm. And again, that's very different to the, the Bible's perspective where our bodies are intended. They're not accidental. They are mm. a gift and they are actually part of our calling. Mm. Um, and certainly the biblical accounts of us being created male and female Mm. carries with some responsibilities as well all of which our culture is pushing to one side and saying no the real you is whatever you whoever you feel you are inside when we had gabe lyons on here who wrote co-wrote good faith with david kinnaman and he talked about how a statistic that they found is 91 percent of americans believe that the best way to find yourself is by looking inside of yourself And I know I went through a phase where I was like, I don't know who I am. And some of that, you know, could be residual growing up with a bajillion siblings and and more things, just not knowing my my sense of self. But I find in a good book that helped me in this was The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. It's really short, but what he talks about is when you pursue God, God's the one who made you. And he's the one who like set all this beautiful world up. He's the one who can show you your real you. This is outside of the male, female, which is very important in what you're talking about, the anthropology. But if you're like, I don't know who I am. I don't even know what I like. Mm -hmm. It's shocking how many people I mentor and they're like, I I don't even know what kind of music I like or anything like that. So there's a, there's a, in a pursuit of God, he can draw out who he made you to be and help Mm -hmm. discover those things. But it's not just by plugging our ears to God and just looking inside of ourselves. That's, that's just going to provide just a black hole of, of lostness in, in my opinion. Well, I think that's what Jesus says too. So he says that if we, it's from out of the heart that that come evil desires and and all of the problems. Yeah. And so if we look deep in our heart, we're not going to find the solution to our angst. We're going to find the cause of it. Mm. Yeah. Ouch. Okay. How can we respond to these changes? Help us out, Sam. Well, I mean, lots of, again, these are not exhaustive, but certainly we've got to learn to, to listen and understand people as well as we can. Um, because often what we immediately perceive and hear from someone is is but the tip of a huge iceberg. Mm. It may be a tip that's not reflective of <laughs> what's going on underneath. And actually, again, Proverbs tells us this. Um, Proverbs 20 says that the a man's heart is like deep waters. Mm. And so there's just so much under the surface we, we don't initially perceive. Yeah. And so we can get the the wrong conclusion about someone very, very easily. And so the more we we get a sense of where someone has come from, who they are, what their story is, the journey they've been on, the more we'll get 
some of those things that are that are underneath. Mm-hmm. Sam, how do you? I know you've been protested, or your message has been, and and listening. We've we've also encountered protesters, and I know how hard it is to both look inside the heart of someone and and not just see the angry faces. How how do you engage with protesters, and especially with this whole listening? Well, yeah, I think I mean, in as much as I can, I, I want to to meet with them, and you know, the, most protesters are there long before an event begins, and so there's time to. Mm. So, to, to talk to them. And so I normally just say to them, listen, I'm, I'm the one who's speaking tonight. And, um, I know you've got some very serious concerns. I'd love to hear more about what those concerns are, hmm. uh, what you're most worried. I might be saying just in case there's something there's where there's been a misunderstanding or you don't, you haven't understood the, the, the goals of the event. Yeah. But again, it just helps me get a sense of where they're coming from hmm. and, you know, how have you come to care so much about this issue? Has it come to mean so much to you? Mm. And then you get you get some really interesting people are very can be very open in those contexts. Mm. And sometimes it comes from what looks like anger actually comes from from some very deep hurt, some very painful experiences, maybe some some deep rejection. And so it you know I, yeah. I want to be able to understand where they're coming from. I love that humility and I, that just peaceful courage that's speaking to me. Your second way to respond to some of these cultural changes is to not say to someone what you can't say to everyone. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this has become my kind of MO really, particularly on these sorts of issues is again, because that the default setting for most people is that we are unfair on this issue and that we demonize certain groups and look down on them mm-hmm. and even hate them. Some right. people think we just hate them. Right. So I find the best way around that is to, is to make sure someone is hearing God's demands of them and God's call on them in the light of his demands on everyone and his call on everyone. Mm-hmm. So there's just that wider gospel framework of actually this is how mm-hmm. The message of Jesus lands on all of us. Yeah, I think that will then help them make sense of how it lands on them. Whereas if you start off with someone and say, oh, well, if you are a lesbian, say, you need to repent of your sin and come to Jesus. What they're going to hear is, I think you're worse than me. Right. I'm condemning you. Mm. I'm othering you. I'm singling you out. And that that in, instinctively feels deeply unfair right because i'm feeling targeted and got at so i think a better thing to do is just is to set the wider context first of actually you know the bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the the glory of god there is no distinction Mm -hmm. that's my baseline so whatever the issue is we're all in it together yeah whether we're talking about sexual identity or or gender identity or or anything, Absolutely. Uh, all in this together. Um, whatever group I'm with, I'm the biggest sinner at the table. Mm. Um, whatever the issue is, even if someone's experience is very different to my own, I've never had any personal experience of, of say, gender dysphoria. Right. But even so, all of us live with, with brokenness when it comes to identity and our bodies and, and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as saying, I know what you're going through. It is saying, hey, 
I'm a mess too. Yeah. That's a great... And I think people are going to be more prepared then to hear the particulars when they've heard the the generalities. Absolutely. And that's why at, at HIMH we've our tagline has been from the beginning, all fall short, all are loved. And it's, we've really tried to move in there, but that's not a us thing. That's, I just love hearing when people move into that, we have to put this in the bigger gospel framework, which moves so deep, uh, so easily and preciously into the next point, which is recognize the cost of discipleship for everyone, which just reading that at face value with Christianese glasses, it's like, oh yeah, 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 cost of discipleship. But lay lay into us. Can, let's let's move in a little bit. Yeah. So I think we've virtually abandoned the concept of this, even if we've retained some of the language. Yeah. Um, and partly because we live in a consumeristic society, and this doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd much rather pitch Jesus as. He's going to be the one who gives you meaning. He's going to fix your problems. He's the answer to all of your questions. Those things are true in Mm. varying ways. But actually, when Jesus is preparing people to follow him, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So in other words, you've got to say a deep and profound no to self. Mm -hmm. The you that you have considered yourself to be needs to be denied more than it needs to be expressed. Mm. Um, when he says, take up your cross, he's saying, Hey, come and get crucified. Yeah. Um, that's not a piece of jewelry. That's not just putting up with some trivial inconvenience in life. It is a laying down of our lives for the sake of something else. And those things are not done in a vacuum because he says, follow me. In other words, we don't just, try to deny ourselves and take up our cross. We do those things as a function of following Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ will mean self-denial and taking up of the cross. And that's, that's what Jesus says. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's his sales pitch. <laughs> yes. um, it's amazing if anyone became a Christian. But then the thing is though, that we, we know that as we do that, we, we don't lose, we gain. Mm. Um, and I love this. I just think this is one of the most beautiful things about what Jesus does. It, as I deny self, I don't become less me. Mm. As I follow Jesus and deny self, I become more than me God had thought up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Isn't that amazing? God can take yeah. a group of us. We can all become more like Jesus, and yet we won't become more like each other. It mm. is crazy. I don't know how he pulls that off. I just know that he does. With <laughs> all the billions um, of us. And we, we become more the, the person actually we, we were created to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And in our better moments, we sense we're not. Mm. But that is going to involve cost, deep cost. And if we only apply that cost to certain groups at certain times, it looks cruel and unusual and unfair and horrible. And the answer, therefore, isn't let's not apply the cost to them. The answer really should be let's apply the cost as Jesus does, which is, and the key word is, anyone, hmm. anyone who comes after me, this is going to be the deal. Yeah. We try to make it either someone or no one, and Jesus makes it anyone. That's it. Mm-hmm. This is good. Speaking of good, 
point four is we need to show the goodness of God. And this came to me as I was speaking with, um, I know you know Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and I was just like, we need to know not only what's true, but that what's true is good. And, and that what's true is good and, and possible to live out. So stories like yours, stories like mine, really stories of anyone who is making this gospel shred their, their sin nature off, uh, they model that. But that goodness piece is important to say. And, and why is that? It's because I think if you, if you just give people a list of prohibitions, if your message is just say no, it's not going to work. Because the, the Bible gives us those prohibitions in the context of a much wider story that has as its goal the goodness of God. Yeah. And so just to abstract those prohibitions out and to start sort of firing them out at the crowd, mm. it's going to be unsurprising if people don't sign up. Um, we've got to show the rationale for why God gives us constraints in certain areas of life as an expression of his love to us. Mm. Um, I, one of my favorite verses is in Psalm 19, and it's surprising because David says, the commandments of the Lord are radiant. <laughs> not the promises, not the assurances, not the encouragements, but the commandments of all things. But the commandments of the Lord are radiant because the Lord is radiant. Mm. And therefore his ways are going to have a taste to them that nothing else will. Wow. And actually, as we start to, to walk in God's ways, we we begin to see their goodness. We test and approve God's will, to use the language of Romans 12. Mm. Um, Jesus says in John 15 that if we obey his commands, we will abide in his love. That doesn't mean you obey your way into being loved. It means that actually, as we obey what Jesus tells us to do, we see that what he's telling us to do is an expression of his love. Mm. That's and actually, we grow in our apprehension of it. Mm. I love this next point, too, that we need to keep our understanding of sexual ethics within the main storyline of the Bible. And you, you mentioned in this talk that I will link on our podcast episode page just how Eden is, is a trailer, a movie trailer for what is to come. And we need to remember that when we are saying, what is the yes? What is the good that we're, we're pointing to? Absolutely, and that, that ultimate marriage between Jesus and his church, his bride, mm. yeah. that's that's the end point of the Bible, and, and Eden is this amazing foretaste of it. Yeah. So it's not, it's not random that the, the opening scenes of human history in the Bible are a guy and a girl getting together who are literally made for each other, mm. because they become a picture of the eventual joining of heaven and earth, which are also made for each other. Amen. The, only come through Jesus Christ. Mm. And if that's the wider framework, we can begin to make sense of why marriage is what it is and isn't what it isn't in the Bible and why there are certain forms of sexual expression that are, are not right mm. because they flow out of this ultimate positive vision. Mm. Which brings us to point six, which is point to Jesus and and how we can walk with people is we need to point to him. And you mentioned how Jesus is not neutral on this issue, which many people will say that, but you, you, you use a really beautiful argument when people try to lean in there. And, and how do you do that? Well, it's just a question of, of showing what Jesus actually teaches, uh, because we have this, this perception that the Old Testament was kind of medieval and just horrible. Yeah. Paul 
in the common view is is kind of got out of the wrong side of bed when he wrote Romans 1 and stuff like that. Whereas Jesus is just kind of chilled out and neutral on the whole thing. <laughs> what Jesus says on sexuality, and if you are not deeply convicted of the sinfulness of your heart, you've not understood it. Because Jesus takes the Old Testament sexual ethics and intensifies them. Mm-hmm. Yep. He doesn't lay them aside. He intensifies them and says it's not just about external forms of behavior or physical actions. It's about your attitude hmm. and your thought life. Hmm. And so he suddenly makes it much, much closer to home. Yeah. And again, in a way that levels the playing field. So even if you've not physically committed adultery, if you have an adulterous heart, then you're in the same boat mm-hmm. as physical adulterer and so he does not make this easy (laughs) and you know he teaches that that marriage is between a man and a woman that's very clear in in matthew 19 he teaches that sex outside of that context is a sin in places like matthew 15 and parallel passages so actually jesus is not as easy as we think he is when it comes to these issues Mm. and that's so important to know because it's not People are not, if they're angry at this stuff, they're not angry at Christianity. They're not angry at me. They're not angry at you. And they're not angry at the church. Actually, their issue is with Jesus, and they need to realize that. Hmm. Which, that whole Jesus essentially tightening the belt when it comes to sexuality and, and pointing at our minds and, and making sure that what comes out of our heart is pure, that just so goes against this whole, the workshop that you were a part of, Matt, of um, they haven't negotiated their monogamy oh it just makes you grieve and and jesus is saying those things to show us how disordered our sexual desires are yeah yeah all of us we all we all need him we need him yeah so i I want people to know that because i want those who who are quite adamantly saying you just can't have that definition of marriage today they need to know that what they're really saying is people should not follow jesus today Mm. Mm. And they need to know that that is actually the gravity of of what they're insisting upon. Yeah. And I just find quite a useful thing to point out to people, not not as a clever rhetorical ploy, but as a as a genuine act of compassion. Yeah. They're picking a fight with Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're not fighting you. Yeah. And they need to know that because the, the stakes are a lot higher. If they're fighting me, they can probably win, to be honest. <laughs> they go up against him. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah. And they need to know that is what they are doing. This is not just societal correction and, and catching the us Luddites up with where progressive things should be going. <laughs> it's, it's, in our language, it's treason against mm-hmm. the Most High. Ouch. And they, they will not win. No. Yeah, I'd rather lose in this life and gain in the next than be surprised at the end and, and find out that, oh, uh, yeah. this yeah. is who I was fighting the whole time. Yeah, you can't be on the right side of Jesus and the wrong side of history because he, he's the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. Mm-hmm. So people just need to know that. And, and again, it's, it's what we want to be doing anyway. We're not trying to modify people's behavior. We're not trying to change their ethical system. We're trying to introduce them to a person always because Christianity is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And this this is a, an occasion to do that, um, and people need to people need to reckon with him because he may seem ignorable now, but he is not going to be ignorable 
forever and maybe not even for long. And again, let's please fall on our faces and repent. So thank you. We have one last point, which is so critical. We need to have confidence in the gospel. And and you mentioned in this talk, our job is not to hold the line. Our job is to take ground and win people. What do you mean by that? And, And when you talk about the gospel in this context, what do you mean? Yeah, well, just the message of Jesus, the the good old-fashioned, you know, (laughs) died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to to bring us to God. And that message needs to be articulated in a way that people will understand. Um, But that that message is literally anything can happen with anyone when we share that message. It doesn't matter who they are and how culturally nearer or further they seem to be from us and or God – the fact is it takes it takes a resurrection miracle to save anyone, and we are really quite stupid if we think, oh, well, yes, but if, if someone's in the gay community, the gospel's not going to have any effect on them. Because mm-hmm. that implies we were somehow, by virtue of our heterosexuality, closer to God to start with, which is, is so ridiculous. <laughs> so it's the gospel is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. And so... God is not intimidated by any group in our society. Mm. We are all the time. Mm. Yeah. He's not. He's not thinking, oh, my gosh, the gospel worked really well on these other people, but this crowd, man, they're tough. Mm. So we need to have confidence in the gospel. And that's another way of saying, and so many Christians, I think, get this wrong, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's so easy for people to, to look at some of the uh, cheerleaders of secularism, of progressive ideology, and think we've got to get them. No, we don't. They're not the problem. They're not the enemy. They're, they are pawns in the hand of the real enemy. Mm. And the best way to hurt the real enemy is to speak truth with grace mm. to all people around us, even those who seem to least want to hear it, because, hey, we were all enemies of God at one point, yeah. and it's only because God is kind that any of us are in a relationship with him. That's it. Hmm. Well, Sam, thank you so much. This was a really powerful conversation and I'm going to look forward to listening to it several times just to get amped to really do what we do and and just inspire to love people well and just to lean in with, um, you just have a, a really precious, humble strength. So thank you for bringing that to this conversation. Oh, it's just so good to to be talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. Such a blessing. Mm. So thank you all for listening. And for those of you who like to take part in our question of the week, you can email me at podcast at himhministries.com or hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, to to get some of these more deep, hearty conversations rolling in in a more light way. Our question of the week for next week is, which of your personality traits would you like to change? I think this was actually one of the table topic questions again. And maybe if it's not, oh, I want to change this. It's maybe like, which piece of that, you know, this is the real me that God has. I believe created what like took you some time to digest like that maybe you really wrestled with and now you're like nope this is how God created me and I I'm just gonna choose to walk in confidence in this way what what is that 
Uh, thank you so much for listening, for um, finding us on iTunes and writing a review. It helps people to find us and spread this message that we hope is really talking about the gospel's good news for everyone every day. Uh, feel free to write us a review. And, and did you know that we, cha- we uh, train churches? So we do workshops, actually, and they're called Journey Well. You can find out some more information at HIMHministries.com where we come in and we use actually the framework of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. And we talk about, okay, what is this beautiful, good picture? And what are the barriers between our need that we believe God has put in us before the fall in the Savior from our need? And, and how can we walk alongside not only the hoodwinking that we do is what some of what Sam was talking about is what we describe can be really used to walk alongside anyone. And so Matt and I have a lot of fun leading these. Uh, it's a lot like this podcast, but really more practical. So feel free to reach out to us if you want to train your church or team. It's called Journey Well. Um, Thanks again to all of you listeners. Sam, thanks so much for being a part of this. My pleasure. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Hello. Hello. Can you hear us? Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, I don't know if you can hear me, but I can't hear you. Oh, shoot. Hmm. We can hear you. Well, let me... Oh, okay. Oh, now he's calling up. Okay. Oh. Let's try that. Hello? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we, we can. can hear you, yes. yes. Can you hear us? Can you dialogue with I can't with hear him? you, so I don't know if you can hear me or not. Shoot. Mm, yes. I'm mm. So I'm going to hang up. Okay. Hello, welcome to Skype call testing service. If you hear this message, but not your own voice, then something is wrong with your audio recording settings. Hello? Hello? Hello, I can... Hooray! <laughs> Huzzah! Good. Sorry about that. That's all right. These things tend to have an allergic reaction to me for some reason, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take full responsibility. It was No, it was our, our end. Part. Yeah, it was yeah. our end. Okay, then I'll blame you fully. Good. Sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> Take it.